Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. And today, in the Starship with me, the USS Rainman Digital, is Ensign David. Hello, David. We're back. Yeah, been away for a little bit, our winter break, as I did warn people. Yes, so please, you did. I hope no one's angry. I have not checked my email yet, so we could be getting some hate mail, but I don't think so. Say, set your phasers to stun, not kill. No, no, kill. Definitely kill. <laughs> I'm a I'm a mirror universe captain. I'm part of the Terran Empire, David. Oh, I, I don't you, take no shit. Oh, you want the torture uh, torture tubes? The then. agony booth. Oh, the agony you, booth. oh, you don't like that we're a month late on our shows? Into the agony, agony booth, booth you go. <laughs> so long. We're going to be breaking down episode seven of season four, titled But to connect. So if you are new to our show, we do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes. And we like when people give us five star ratings and drop a review. It does help our show grow and get seen by more people. So we need you to help us trigger those algorithms so that we can keep doing these shows. So yes, we are back from winter break, kinda. Technically, we don't come back until March, but I figured we better jump on this Star Trek because we're going to fall behind. Uh, because this is phase one, David, of Operation Star Trek Overload. Overload. <laughs> I mean, this year we have a lot of truck coming uh, our way, and we are both cautiously optimistic and excited. We have a Star Trek update show coming out soon where we will break down everything that's coming down the pipeline. But David, just a bit of a preview, and I, I, I can't imagine there's Star Trek fans listening right now that don't know this, but um, we won't be without a single month without something new pertaining to Star Trek yes. this next year it's, or this, this year, this it, coming year, the year we're in right now, David, it's literally paramount is literally going to be shoving Star Trek into all of our orifices. Hey, listen, I I'm okay with that. Listen, they have the, they have my consent to shove whatever <laughs> they want into all orifices that, as long as it won't kill me, it'll be it'll be like the shirt tricks episode of the Tribbles. Okay, when the Tribbles actually just took over the ship, that's going to be Star Trek for the next couple months. Listen, if it's good Star Trek, I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those people that are afraid of too much content. As long as you have creative minds that are highly intelligent, all writing your shows, then it doesn't matter to me. You're, you're gonna be like that. Guy. You're gonna be the guy in that episode, the one in the very end where he's like just in his underwear, telling pe telling people that he's not an idiot. 
and he gets overrun by triples. Listen, David, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for today, our focus is going to be on Discovery's seventh episode of season four, as I said, titled But to Connect. The synopsis, tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy gather to confront the threat of the the dark matter anomaly, anomaly, better known as the DMA, and Zora's new sentience raises difficult questions. David, these are the types or type of episodes where in good hands, writing-wise, Star Trek narratives like this can really excel. Oh, absolutely. Especially in this episode. This episode, I mean, arguably, this is probably one of the most packed episodes when it comes to philosophy. And when it comes to the Star Trek fandom, each of us have our favorite things that you know, favorite things about Star Trek, the reasons why we love the franchise. And for me, and I believe you as well, Dave, it's philosophy. Yeah. And I don't just mean uh, the academic and intellectual practice of, you know, philosophical discourse, but the philosophy of Star Trek, diversity, sciences, good character development, the challenges of maintaining a utopian society. These are the reasons I would say that uh, people gravitate to Trek. But for me, that is all immaterial when, when positioned next to the philosophical, because with an intriguing philosophical premise, all other aspects will factor in. So if you gravitate to Star Trek because of diversity or because of the sciences or because of good, good character development, I'm trying to state this better. Um, or like I said, the challenges of a utopian society. All those things can easily factor into your premise when you are writing a show that's governed by the philosophical. Yeah. And it's it's that element. That's what separates Star Trek from all the other franchises in sci-fi. What made what makes Star Trek unique and why it basically, you know, People, people look at it and say, we want shows that copy that. Then you get stuff like Orville. You get stuff like The Expanse and and the one show that you, uh, you brought up to me, which was uh, All for Mankind. Show, sci-fi shows like that delve into the philosophy. And the show that the franchise that started all and made it its mainstay was Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, from its conception, for sure. And in this episode, David, although not perfect, benefits from a solid philosophical premise where elements of diversity, cognitive science, character development organically find their place within the narrative. For yeah. example, by exploring Zora's growth as an artificial intelligence, the writers found an appropriate discursive context to flesh out thoughts about identity yes autonomy and consent because of the philosophical premise because of the philosophical bedrock of the episode yes in fact the written scenario pertaining to zora was a metaphor for the lgbt experience or to be more specific the transgender experience yeah it wasn't a coincidence that gray adira culbert and stamets were all involved in that scene yeah, and it also, it all 
the the different because a lot of people uh, that online I've been seeing compare this scene and the the elements of in this episode to like TNG's episode with Data, the trial of Data, and his uh, the trial for his humanity. The difference yeah. between that and the trial of Data is the fact that this is diving into another aspect of. I don't want to use the word gender politics because that tends to Ide- be very identity negative. politics. Identity politics. Yeah, identity politics isn't bad. Yeah, it's just been so trendy of late that it annoys people. It annoys that, people. That's all. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's why I want to stay away from is actually annoying people when they hear the the, nah, the catchphrase right. identity. But I, I think people that listen to our show know we're not you know lunatics. Yeah, but like <laughs> we're pretty least, we're pretty middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, are we sexual lunatics? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so stupid. But like when it comes when it came to this episode, I was really surprised how they took a similar theme like Data's Data, the Trial of Data and just molded it for their own narrative and made it work. And it actually was one of the elements that made it feel like a true Star Trek episode. If I remember the episode correctly, the idea was, hey, let's show Star Trek fans that Data is a real person. Okay, that's the idea. But let's how are we gonna how are we gonna write that? Well, let's use a philosophical, a tried and true philosophical statement about AI. And that's what they did. They constructed their narrative around the premise of AI intelligence. And that's what they did with this episode as well. And they did it, they did it to the thing I really appreciated about this episode. They took elements not just from Roddenberry's thoughts on AI, but also Asimov's thoughts on AI. When when Zora brings up the fact that she comes up with the 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 law that it the the thing that she basically says is like she cannot do anything that will harm the crew. It that harkens back to Isaac Asimov's three rules of robotics, where it's basically you uh, a robot cannot harm a human, a robot cannot allow a human to be harmed and something else about like a, a it must a, protect its, it own, must protect existence. its own ex- existence right yeah essentially in that they put that philosophical outside influence from asimov and put it onto a roddenberry story and they did a good job mixing it yeah because believe me i've read so many sci-fi books that have tried to do that and failed miserably. And I give them a lot of props because it wasn't heavy handed and it came off really natural with the arguments and the statements that they were being made. And in the end, to wrap it up in the entire gender politics and actually showing that Zora wanted to just be seen. Right. That was that was really poetic. And you're right. It is. And I think most people, I know you're trying to walk, you're walking the tightrope right now of identity oh, yeah. politics, but <laughs> I think most people know by now that I'm not a big fan of identity politics in television and not because I don't support it. Of course I do, but it's grown tiresome in pop culture due to the hack level writing that many of these television and feature exactly. film writers employ when trying to tackle the subject. It's overly naive. It's simplified down to arbitrary codes of black and white. Yes. The subject deserves more intellectual guidance in the way of reasoning and discourse. And an episode of Star Trek like this one is a fairly decent example of doing it the right way through debate and by using logic 
empathy, yes. ethics, the, the writer's craft, a scenario that fleshes out the key concepts of what qualifies as sentience and whether or not the crew of Discovery is dealing with an evolving artificial intelligence or something that has evolved from the artificial to a new form of physical life. And yes. I use physical loosely. I simply use that word as a way to describe something more comprehensive um, because she's not physical. All of that we were given, Dave, it was multi-layered because mm-hmm. it wasn't just about that. That all was awesome and overtly it very clear. She's a new life form. She's part of the crew, blah, 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 blah. But that was designed as an allegory for LGBT identity politics. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it was done- That's how you do it. That's classic Deep Space Nine writing. Exactly. Deep Space Nine did that stuff all the time. Yeah, and it was done to perfection in this episode. I mean, I even like the element that the the judge, quote unquote, judging force or the outside influence, like the uh, that oversees everything, was Kovich. Yeah, Kovich is like this. They use Kovich perfectly in that argument because Kovich is that silent observer. Yeah, and when he basically looks at Stamets, and I love the cap in the end. The cap wasn't, you know. Zora saying the whole scene about her being seen, the true ending and the lesson moment was between Stamets and Kovich because Kovich looking at Stamets and telling him, yeah, I was watching you. And if you made the wrong decision or depending on your decision, I was going to have you resign. Yeah. The problem was you. The problem was, was Stamets. Yeah. And that is, I say that's really smart because first off it did subvert. I think most of our objections are, um, Expectations, expectations, I should say, because most of us have seen that typical story where the outsider comes in, he plays the part of the bad guy, and he decides, nope, she's not human, just like we had in the episode with Data. Yes. Whereas it was the complete opposite. He was there simply to listen, observe, and then form an interpretation of what he sees in yes. front of him based on his expertise pertaining to cognitive sciences so it was very well done i I loved every part of that entire scene and not to mention dave once again discovery takes ideas that the picard writers were attempting to do <laughs> or maybe attempting to do who knows with that show and they here in this scenario here discovery did it better for example zora's subconscious that formed which is how they determined or concluded that she's something entirely different than just an AI. This is what they were trying to do with Data and Picard, where he was still alive inside that box in like a dream state. See, we're not reviewing Picard, but that scene was fine between the two actors. It was full of nostalgia and emotion, but the, the, the idea failed to be resonate. A- it failed to be effective. Yeah. I understood what they were doing because I overly interpret things and analyze, but I don't feel like the bulk of the audience understood what that was supposed to be. And that box was supposed to be essentially his consciousness that was stored and saved. Exactly. And people just focused on the fact that it's data and Picard and nostalgia. They focused in on that instead of looking at the substance behind it. Right. And they didn't explain. That was the problem with Picard is that mm-hmm. Star Trek's known for its ludicrous science at times, but it is science and it's grounded in Star Trek science. But there's explanations for there's it. Explanations. Picard didn't really explain certain things. And the reason why I'm even bringing that up is because in an episode like this, they explained how she evolved. They didn't 
They didn't need to get all into the nitty gritty. There was no need for it. But they explained, what is this area here? Aboard Discovery, you've never seen it. Oh, it popped up a couple of days ago. Well, let's analyze it. What's inside of it? We see images of the Discovery crew and their experiences. Oh, it's her subconscious. It formed. Very simple. Yeah. And it backs up and explains how she has gone as a character, Zora, from A to B. Exactly. And it used elements that were already established that if you are a Discovery watcher, you can actually flow along with the explanation. Yeah. Bringing in the idea that basically her initial start was the merger of the date, the, the data sphere from the very, from the past seasons. And she's gotten up to this point Mm -hmm. and using that element makes it more, more understandable. Yeah. It's well, you get it. I mean, when you're dealing with God level knowledge, essentially, exactly. And it's, it's, you know, not to harp on Picard, it is, it is a better explanation than simply waving your hand and saying it works with the power of your imagination. You see this box here? It has Data's memory. How, though? How? He died. He blew up. He blew up. Eh. Eh. Use the power of your imagination. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, you have to actually at least connect the dots. Yeah. And that's what they did here. That's all I ask for. I don't need to be on board with every single story idea. It's not my story. As long as the story you're giving us is justified in some way and it makes sense and it's consistent and and well thought out and it stays within the framework of what Star Trek is supposed to be. Yeah. And an episode like this did exactly those things. So a very solid effort. I really like what they've done with the character Zora as well. I mean, really making those elements from season two, as you were mentioning, the Red Sphere data and giving it, you know, narrative longevity and importance. I really like when writers don't just let things die from past seasons. Yeah. A lot of TV shows do that. And that's not necessarily a negative. But why leave all that fruit on the vine? Exactly. You set all that up. It's there. It's easily accessible well, for when you need it. Especially in this episode, because not only did they do that with the Zora storyline, but even with the storyline, story A, is, of course, was with Burnham and Book. Yeah. Book bringing up Burnham, basically the what started everything. Him bringing uh, up the moment of Burnham's history that basically she started the Klingon war with the freaking, you know, Vulcan hello. <laughs> and You mean the Vulcan mutiny? Yeah. And <laughs> essentially Book was using that to try to form his argument to get his way to Burnham. Uh, yeah. And I like it, it just like what you said, bringing stuff, elements from past seasons just to make – show us as the yeah. audience that those matter. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways that by bringing that forward by book, it showed the development of Burnham yeah. in a lot of ways, this episode. Yeah. We're getting more history and the more history we accumulate with a show, if it's well-written, the better it serves the show later down the road because it just gives it this, this feeling of its own world. In itself, rather than relying what's been established before from other Star Trek shows, which when you're dealing with a spinoff series like all of these other Star Trek shows, whether it be TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery, or Picard, they're essentially spinoffs. And rather than 
having to rely on a single show's premise and the foundation they laid. Sure. You have to do that for a while with a spinoff. You absolutely have to for that first season, but eventually you're going to create your own foundation for your own structure, permanent monument, if you will, within the Star Trek franchise. And that's what discovery has finally done with season four. You feel it has a sense of permanence now. Yes. This season, this season. I mean, this is probably the season that made discovery its own identity. They're blazing new trails. Yeah. Finally, finally, (laughs) finally. Yeah. Um, And at the end of it all, we've got ourselves a new discovery crew member, someone that seamlessly fits into, and this is something we talk about a lot, seamlessly fits into the semantics of the Trek genre. Like Spock, Data, DePaul, the Doctor, just to name a few. So basically, you know, as we've said, characters that are used to explore the human condition. So now we have our one that is exclusive discovery exclusive to discovery and i'm really fucking psyched to see what they do with this character moving forward yeah i'm i'm really hoping for really great things the one thing that is kind of funny now everyone has basically brought up is technically we know zora's fate technically yeah because we know what happens in calypso if if they do follow you know that trend so it's it's really tragic for Zora to end up where she is then. It may not be as tragic as we think. I can't talk tonight. That's what happens when we're gone for so long. We were gone for so long, yeah. Um, It may not be as tragic as we think because, again, knowing how time travel works, she might have had to throw herself into the future for some reason. And for her, it's been very, very long. But there may be a date when the people from Discovery in their timeline said, you can come back. Come back. And it may only be five minutes to the crew of Discovery. Oh, the, dude, they got to be careful with stuff. Oh, like I that. know. I be, believe me, I know. Remember, that is touching on time travel. This is now now. Everything that's now, happening now. now is happening now. What happened <laughs> then? We missed it. When? Just now. Just now. That's how convoluted shit can get exactly. when you're dealing with time travel. All right, so that was story B. I want to move into story A, but first, get more from the Holodeck content by pledging to our Patreon page. This year, we've got a wide variety of Trek content planned for Patreon subscribers, so you don't want to miss out. Free shows, exclusive podcast episodes like uh, reviews on Trek novels, comic books, and topical discussions revolving around the Borg, the Maquis, Q, and more. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge a minimum of $5 a month to gain access to our podcast tier and the behind-the-scenes tier that offers you our free shows. If we are to continue to broadcast and produce more episodes, we do need assistance from the viewers. I estimate that we will have over 40 new episodes this year of our show just from our regular feed. And we can only do that if we hit certain Patreon subscriber numbers. If you like our shows, get more of what you like, go to patreon.com slash Digital. Okay, so story A. It takes us deeper into philosophical debate, but now the writers take us into the highly contentious debate of moral relativism. 
David. This is what Star <laughs> Trek's all about. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Now, which simply put, if you're not completely sure what moral relative relativism is, it is the idea that there is no universal or absolute set of moral principles. It's a version of morality that advocates to each her own and those who follow it say, who am I to judge? Yes. Uh, moral relativism can be understood in several ways. Descriptive moral relativism, also known as cultural relativism, says that moral standards are culturally defined. This is key to the episode, which is generally true. Uh, yes, there may be a few values that seem nearly universal, such as honesty and respect, but many differences appear across cultures when people evaluate moral standards around the world which to some small degree david starfleet's prime directive is geared around a type of moral relativism now that we got we've got a bit of a bit more context we can bring it back to the episode more fully burnham says we cannot judge their motives based on our own cultural context yeah that's what opens up the debate officially in this episode when it comes to moral relativism and the DMA. Now that the Federation has apparently pinpointed where the DMA and unknown species 10C are from, Burnham, along with other members of the Federation, want to take a step back and let cooler heads prevail. Yes. And this makes room for a debate about whether or not unknown species 10C is acting intentionally hostile and would like to investigate rather than showing up guns blazing. Yes. Emotions should not supersede logic, right? Isn't that, uh, isn't that the Star Trek way? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the beautiful part was the way Burnham put it, put it too, was like, didn't she, it was something on the lines of, she compared it to like some kind of bloodworm or something like yeah. voles that were eating bloodworms mm-hmm. or something. And, that, and it was like, 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 that is a very Vulcan thing to oh, say. Absolutely. And because like, and also kind of like a very eccentric doctor type of thing to say, because like, it's like, what the hell are you talking about? And then when you, when you stop and you think about it, go, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. I mean, the voles, voles aren't really doing anything malicious right so comparing that to the dma and the dma not probably knowing what it's doing and you know it's just minding its own business we don't know its intentions yeah and and this is where dave the aspects of moral relativism comes into play there's no empirical proof that unknown species 10c is operating under the guise of hostility. Yes. For all we know, for example, these actions could, you know, culturally or scientifically perhaps be a highly evolved species. I mean, think about humans analyzing ants. Exactly. Point there's, you know, there's no moral or ethical absolutes pertaining to 10C. So we don't know. We don't know when you're dealing with a highly evolved species. They may not even understand that we're intelligent. There are so many different things. And yes, I don't think that's the direction we're going, but that's the the mindset of the writers when they were writing this episode. When you listen to what all the characters were saying, the concerns they were voicing, you know, either for pro or against the attack. Well, I hate to say it. I wouldn't be surprised if they did go that route, that the DMA doesn't know what it's doing. Because think about it. How many times in Star Trek have they ran into a species that is quote unquote 
on the higher plane of existence than even humanity. And that those, you know, beings look, look down at like the crew of the enterprise or anybody and they see them as ants or like, Oh, that's really interesting. Right. I mean, do we judge someone for swatting at a mosquito? Exactly. Are they good? Are they bad? Do we prescribe or assign moral values to those types of actions and we know that we're dealing with the barrier right yes so we know based on some star trek canon and some non-canon but officially licensed trek stories that those are the super beings out there yes we don't know much about that over there we could be going down that route, but I honestly feel like I'm a bit over the accidental. Oh, we didn't mean to hurt you. Baby cry. <laughs> the cry of a child. I don't know if I want that. I'm yeah. not saying I need an all out, you know, full blown fight either with aliens, but I would like to see something that rivals the Borg. Something so outlandishly new. Yes. Do you remember when the Borg was first introduced, how exciting it was? Oh, yeah. I mean, every single episode as a Star Trek fan, we wanted more Borg episodes because they were so interesting. So different and interesting. There was a threat to them. And and the enemy was philosophical. The idea of zombies and the collective versus, you know, individualism. Yes. It's so good, the stories that they use the Borg for, and they could do the same thing here. So I'm hoping it's something more tangible and book is right. I'm hoping it's something that's doing things intentionally. Well, that's the inter- that's what makes this argument. I won't say it's argument, but it, th- th- this debate yeah, very argument, interesting sure, yeah. in the episode is like, it could be very easy and just show that the, this is the way the Federation thinks, but putting book in there mm-hmm. actually brings another element into it because if you, I understand where book's coming from. Hey, I don't care if they see us as ants. They still destroyed my home world. Yeah, David, <laughs> tell me you didn't hear Captain Kirk say, let them die. Yeah, exactly. That's why and, I love the scene. That's why I love the scene yeah, is because yeah. – the only time that you, they ever tackled this type of argument or debate is with Captain Kirk. Well, whenever you take the utopian experience and bunch it up against emotions. Emotions, yeah. That may elicit some form of revenge. I mean, that's that's a good story right there. It is. Because you have a very strict ideology for this world of Star Trek. And when emotions interferes human imperfection can disrupt the utopian peace yes. the, the utopian mindset well look at uh look at uh um what's the character's name the one the uh, not Rilak. that's the but the scientist tarka tarka yeah look at tarka tarka's motivations now now we understand tarka's motivations are all emotional i mean the reason why he wants to do this is because it, it isn't out of you know, wanting to destroy the DMA, it's for his own personal gain because he's because of a trauma that happened to him. Well, yes, I believe there's some truth there, but also Tark is not the talking type. So for him to be allow himself to be vulnerable and possibly tell book some truths about himself, it's a sign of desperation. Yes. And I don't think he's telling book 
the, the whole, whole truth. truth. There's something going on. You don't bring in an actor like Sean Doyle just to play a passing character. No. I mean, you cast Tarka with Sean Doyle for a reason. You're going to use his acting credibility for reasons simply than just a drive-by, you know, scientist I'm going to fucking throw the whole entire show a curveball maneuver by influencing book. You know, you don't do it. That's not, you don't bring that type of actor. You can do, you can use any actor to do that. So yes. the fact that they bring a, a fairly well-known television actor into the, to discovery, and then they put him in this role, there's a reason for it. So I, I did like everything they did. Um, I like, I, I do agree with you about book being used in, in the argument, in the debate, offering the other side. And it, it's interesting to see that he's he feels differently. And I like this because I'm hoping that Book and Burnham don't go into some type of melodramatic fight. I hope so, too. I, I hope this serves as a contemporary example of political discord. And... Then we see how it's dealt from dealt with from a mature, evolved perspective. We yeah. have two people who completely disagree with each other, and the other is going to go out and do what he thinks is right. But at the end of the day, they can both understand where they're coming from. Yeah, no melodrama. Yeah, you don't want melodrama between this. That's why I was kind of iffy when when he left the quote unquote letter. Because I'm like, wow, he just left a dear job. Dear Burnham. Dear Burnham. I'm going to miss that ass, but I need revenge. <laughs> I need, I need, someone's going to die. P.S. Here's a dick pic for you. <laughs> just for going away. Please take care of my cat. <laughs> it's so stupid. That's so inappropriate. Oh, man. So, yes, he's rejecting uh, a relativist view and wanting to stop whoever or yes. whatever is controlling the DMA. And it, it still I'm still wondering what the point of last episode where we saw the vision and me and you were trying to speculate, OK, what was that really his father or was that something yeah, else? I'm not sure. Yeah. And we did not have any other idea what's going on. But you could tell Book is slightly changing. Whether He's it's, an interesting character. Whether He's getting better. I mean, I liked yeah. him last year, but he's becoming even more interesting. He's, this he's becoming more dynamic. Yeah. And like even with the way that he's being portrayed, his whole demeanor is changing. Yeah. I and... Mean, is that because he's being influenced? I don't think Tarka's involved with being that side. No, no, no. But is he being influenced by something like a higher being, like the DMA? Anything's possible at this point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree or say, no, that's a terrible idea. That could very well be. Bringing it back to Tarka really quick, he is becoming a very intriguing character. You had touched on him a bit a few moments ago, but yeah. we at least we know his motivations a little bit more, and he's become more interesting and possibly dangerous. I mean, he alleged his alleged motivation for attacking uh, is his desire for the power source of the DMA. Is that what he said? Yes. So, and he wants to use it in order to get to his own universe, and that was interesting, and also raised a bunch of red flags. Not in a bad way, but like, oh shit, are we going to be doing this again? Because when Book assumed it was the mirror universe, this is the part that I'm going, what the hell? Tarka says, you say that like it's the only other option. There are countless 
parallel universes. So let the theories begin, David. Why would the writers have Tarka make such a statement with obvious narrative intent unless there's a reason for it? You don't need to bring up all the parallel universes or even have a character who's from another universe unless there's a narrative reason. Yes. And if you think about it, dude, they've they've been laying these breadcrumbs down throughout the season. I mean, remember all the all of Kovic's scenes yeah. had yeah. to deal with the fact that, oh yeah, you know, they're studying other universes, the parallel universes. And they clarified things in the way of time travel and what happens when you travel back in time and exactly. when you create a a split uh was it a time incursion they called it yeah. last season and then you create a split that's actually how the mirror universe formed from a time incursion we're still waiting to find out what that time incursion was and i'm standing by my theory last season that it has everything to do with the final season of enterprise <laughs> when they went back yes. to nazi era and the alt reality that they went to because something happened where earth was overrun by the ss is that what it was and an alien species and i alien forgot species. the name of the aliens but i believe it had to do with the temporal war as well if memory serves me well i'm not I, it's been years since i i haven't watched enterprise now in like five years i'm Are getting you? ready to start again because i just went through all of them so now I'm I'm going back to I started watching Picard because I need to rewatch that and I turned tr- it off. No, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't. Well, I don't want to visit that trauma. Well, I watch it at night, you know, to unwind as I'm getting ready for bed, and I'll watch maybe one or two episodes a night. And I want to unwind, David. <laughs> I don't want to get angry. <laughs> so why are you watching Picard then? <laughs> and every time I see Patrick Stewart's like stupid face, like but say something <laughs> that we understand. <laughs> You're not even Picard. Stop him. Stop yelling at the man. Did you realize that's how he talks now? Yeah. Uh, 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 Dude, what are you, 107? (laughs) And the sad thing is, David, is he doesn't actually talk like that in real life. No, he doesn't. So why does he play a bumbling fool? And everyone, everyone in this. No, 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 Mike. We're not going to go down this road. Uh, We can't go down Don't don't go down the road. uh, We'll (laughs) see. Where's the timber you used to have in your voice? Where's the guy that basically at the data trial basically said, there, there's the, there's sentient life right the in front of you. the man that said, there are four lights. <laughs> I'm just joking. Let's not get negative here, David. No. Enough, no. Of, enough of you. Okay, so theories, I'm sure they're going to start rolling in with this parallel universe thing. I do, I do have a theory. It's more grander in scale. I don't think they're going to do much with it this year necessarily, but I do feel like we're moving in the direction of really turning Discovery or possibly another iteration of Trek, whether it be a spinoff or I don't know. We're going to be dealing with parallel universes. Oh, easily. I honestly think that just with all the breadcrumbs that they've left uh, left out there, and then, of course, the last trailer of Picard that got released I think parallel universes are going to be a big thing David what if we find out that we have never been in the TNG era at all oh god or I should say the TNG era timeline what if this is an entirely different timeline how many fans out there who have felt like this show or the Kurtzman era has kind of messed up continuity you know, when it, in the way of aesthetics and, and different looks and stuff. 
I think they would actually be happy with that. Like, oh, so this is a different universe. Okay, now I can enjoy this. It's it's a bomb though, Mike. It's a bomb that you're that everyone should be afraid of. No, I don't. I don't want to blow happening. up. <laughs> I don't want it happening, David. So people just need to get over that aspect. I'm always about the writing. If your writing's good, I don't care if you change the look. Because imagine if we kept making a show that looked like the '60s era track. Oh, it would look ridiculous. Yeah, but but think about or this. that '80s aesthetic of the Enterprise uh, uh, D, right? Exactly. Yeah. Think about oh this. Think about this, though, Mike. It's a very easy explanation of all the differences and all the visual styles we've been t- talking about. Not just in Discovery, but just like. The differences between Discovery, Lower Decks, Picard. What if Lower Decks is the only show actually in the TNG timeline? (laughs) I I can live with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so Tarka and Book are going to use an isolytic explosion. Oh, dude, I was so giddy when they brought up this device. Now, for people who aren't aware, we have been introduced to this type of weapon before. And it was in Star Trek Insurrection. It was Insurrection. Was it Star Trek Eight? Technically, yeah. It was the so the Sona Sona, and yep. they equipped their battle cruisers with isolytic bursts. And basically, it was it's a it's an outlawed weapon because it tears subspace. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Will Book actually be involved in destroying subspace? Because wasn't he the person? In the beginning of last season, that was against all the warp travel. Yeah. Because he said people keep tearing holes. People keep tearing holes. Exactly. And that's what makes it so interesting that book at this point from the last season to this has changed so dramatically that it's added a really cool dynamic to the character. He's had good character development. Oh, absolutely. He probably had the best. I wasn't on board the whole planet explosion, exploding his, his Quajon because I, you know, from a writing perspective, it's a little silly that you, one of the big moments last season was about saving his planet and liberating his people. It's a little hacky. And then this season, all of his people die and his planet explodes. So I didn't like that idea initially, but now that at least they're using that, to give book some solid character development. And then we have these philosophical debates because of it. I can get on board an idea like that because of what they're doing with, with the aftermath of that decision. After this episode, would you be surprised to actually see book turn into, I don't want to say like a villain, a villain, a straight villain, but can you imagine if they turn Book's character into what is essentially, you know, Burnham's con, she, he could be the foil to Burnham. I was going to say that he doesn't believe Burnham should be the Sorceress Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> you know that analogy, right? Yeah. From <laughs> Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that, that was crossing the streams that made my brain hurt there. <laughs> Hey, listen, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Yes. Yes, I did. So what were you saying then? But like, it'd be really interesting to see book actually turn into a foil for Burnham. This whole time we were actually thinking, oh, they're going to be the romantic interest, you know, Mm -hmm. something stereotypical. 
Instead, we're getting possibly a nemesis to book or oh, a nemesis to burn. Can you imagine two former lovers. That does sound a little cheesy when I say it like that. It but, sounds cheesy. But but listen, but- Shakespeare has been used a lot yes. for Star Trek. So if they give that a Shakespearean vibe. Yeah. Uh, I can I can co-sign on that. And, and think about all no the problem. Well, a lot of the elements that we've been mentioning have seemed a little hackish, you know, blowing up a planet. The payoff was this beautiful character development for one central character that you're building up to be a foil to your main character mm-hmm. to 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 Burnham. Right. And that's what Burnham needs. Everyone's been saying this season is the th- the season that Burnham has to stand up on her own. Yeah. So she needs, you know, things think, that are iconic to her. I think they're doing a really good job this season across the board. Oh, easily. I mean, listen, it's not perfect. It definitely is not perfect, but they are making some good decisions. Oh, Mike is breaking on me. Hold on a second. They are making some some good decisions that I can definitely get behind, and they're not bothering me. So, Dave, they mentioned a, a quick throwaway, a new generation spore drive, something that Tarka yes. has been working on. Now, David, if this actually ends up being a thing, this will be an end of an era. It will change everything. Just like with the transporters, like that still doesn't sit right with me. And I and I haven't really complained about it because I just don't want to nitpick things. I Again, I'm all about story, but. A part of me wants to know, like, am I bothered by it? Because it's just classic Star Trek beam me up and you have the that slow transport, the dematerialization of the body. It's just something we're so accustomed to in Star Trek. And now we don't have that at all. Like transporting doesn't seem to be an issue any any longer. Yeah. And now if we eliminate warp drive, would it feel weird not having the two core elements of Star Trek involved in Star Trek? Normally, I would say yes. But going back to what I was saying that this season, Discovery had to put their own stamp on the franchise. I agree. This is something that I think had to be done. I see. And that that, I'm glad you said that because that's how I was trying to reconcile the feeling when I was working on my show notes. I went back and thought, am I... Feeling a little disgruntled because of just being a Star Trek baby, or is this really a big deal? And I don't feel like it's a big deal. And no. I, I also feel like it's a move in a direction that shows that Discovery is willing to take risks and they're willing to do their own thing. They're willing to blaze their own trail. Yeah. The only thing is, is they got to be really careful. Well, that's because why. if you have a spore drive that every ship will have now in, in this era of Star Trek, uh, chronologically, I should say, it's endless where they can go. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, no, there's no trouble getting to the Alpha Quadrant, to the Delta Quadrant, and then the idea of space exploration is no longer an experience. It's a simple jump. It's a simple jump. So they got to be careful with that. That's all I say. Well, th- Imagine if the, the 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 exploration at that point isn't space, but it's actually the parallel universes. Oh, they jump to parallel they universes. They jump to different universes. And that's See, the, where that's the explanation also goes. dangerous, too, because suddenly the show... Listen, you know what? We can sit here and talk about this for 
forever. I'm oh, sure. Easily. Because think about this. Anything, think about this. Honestly, David, anything could work as long as it's done right. Because think about this. We know as Star Trek fans, Voyager set the precedent that basically down the line, time travel became very easy in the, in, in the future. Yeah. And it caused a lot of te- temporal wars and stuff like that. So that happened. Now we know we that, that that happened after Discovery. So Discovery has to set the precedent of actually be, basically saying, okay, we can't do time travel, but there's nothing stopping you going from universe to different parallel dimensions or universes. That's the next exploration. Yeah. I would have no problem with it. As long as it's done the right way. Yes. It has to be done the right way. Just got to be careful. Yeah. So final thoughts, focusing on what I can control is what Burnham said. This is why the episode for me, this particular episode stands above the rest of discovery so far to date. Because you have so much philosophy in one episode. Even a saying like that is actually... A saying from the Stoics. It's part of Stoic philosophy. Focus on what you can control and do not focus and emphasize on things that are beyond your reach or beyond your ability to control. Yeah. Whoever wrote this episode, I don't have the name in front of me. They know their philosophy and they understand Star Trek. The Federation convention was fantastic to just to see all the different alien species, <laughs> uh, the idea of the United Earth and Titan both becoming a part of Starfleet, hopefully in the near future, is going to be a huge thing for this era of Star Trek. Um, regulations prohibiting fully sentient integrated units, ethical and safety reasons. I like that little bit because we... I do not believe we've ever heard that before, that that was a rule in Star Trek, or I should say a Starfleet rule or a Federation rule. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's something new that has happened during the 900 and some years. Years. So that's a little bit of interesting addition to the world of Star Trek. These are the things that I like. I like the philosophy. I like their additions to Star Trek building, as we had said, building out the universe rather than just relying solely on what we already know. Although the funny, the best part by far about that whole gathering of Federation, the coalition Mm -hmm. was it gave us insight too of like the types of alien species and races that are out there. I mean, we brought it up earlier it is really interesting that there was a couple races that were omitted that were left out. Like you did not see the big one. Honestly is the Klingon. There were no Klingons. Yeah. Why? Well, that's because <laughs> it's probably like the elephant in the room at this it's point. The elephant in the room. They made the Klingons look so different in the first season discovery. Like, how do you reconcile that now with this era of star Trek where now you have passed so many eras of Star Trek where we've actually seen what these look like. You're in the same universe, we think. So it does seem strange. Although I don't let those things bother me, David. No, I, no. I, I said this during the pre-show. I, I don't let those things bother me too much because Star Trek has always had a bad habit of changing the way aliens look. So it doesn't, if it, we didn't nitpick it then, then we shouldn't nitpick it now just because people like to brutally punch Kurtzman Kurtzman but I, I I honestly feel I, I honestly feel just like you I just think I, the reason why I like it when they do stuff like that it makes me as a Star Trek fan wonder yeah 
okay, obviously there, maybe there was a reason. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe They're all there dead, David. Reason. They're all in Stubblecore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet the funniest part by far that is if they're all wiped out, man, you mean to tell me the Ferengi actually outlasted the Klingons? Hey, look, they're survivors, Dave. <laughs> Capitalism. Capitalism it's all survived. Uh, okay, so I'm going to give this episode, David, are you ready? Okay. I'm going to give this episode a 97%, which is the highest I have rated an episode, I think, in a while. I might have given the George Joe episodes last year, the Guardian of Forever episodes. God, I might have given so awesome. them a similar yeah. grade. But to me, David, I can't say this with absolute certainty because I'd have to go back and rewatch every single episode of Star Trek Discovery. But I think this might be my favorite episode of Star Trek Discovery. It may not be the best in the ways of, of writing mechanics. There, there are some things there that didn't work. But the concept and the overall ideology of the episode and the philosophy of the episode, it is, it is its strongest. And it is 100% Star Trek to its core. So I would give this episode a 100%, but... That scene with Adira and Gray running in is like, let us speak for her. I'm like, oh God, we already understood. <laughs> we already understood. We already understood know, what the same, message. I was the same way. I was like, we get it. We get like, it. Like, Gray, go find purpose on Trill. Okay. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to go to the Trill? grownups are talking? <laughs> I just kind of it, I love the message. But just the way they did it with them rushing in, it was yes. so fucking try hard. It was that was that was the try hard moment. And I was like going, that's the moment that they could have omitted because they yeah. got their message across. Yeah. And I like the idea that it was all of them in there. It, it was fitting. And if you didn't understand the message, well, here, we're going to help you understand the message by having all of our LGBT members in one room while they're debating this about identity so I'm 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 even okay with that. It's just the idea the the way they rushed it was so fucking bad. Yes. So that marred the episode a bit. And I am being nitpicky, but uh, listen, you don't get a hundred percent for that. So it's yeah. a ninety-seven percent, which is still an extremely high. Oh yeah, rating. Okay, David, briefly give me your final thoughts. Sorry, go ahead. My final thoughts on on this episode. I really did like the episode. It was tough for me because no. I was trying to actually figure out which episode did I like more, the last one. Um, or this one, because the last one, dude, that ending where, where Zora is singing. Yeah. That was freaking awesome. And it last episode had some of my favorite moments, you know, the gene sequence with book and his father. And well, you gave the last episode an 88% and I gave it a 96%. Yeah. And that's why I'm like trying to figure out in hindsight, I because I rewatched it, I would have given it an, uh, actually into the nineties instead of the eighties. But with this one, I'm going to stick with a ninety-five. Okay. Uh, I really liked the episode, but I liked the past episode more because in hindsight, I would have given the last episode a ninety-eight because I rewatched it while we were on break probably like four times. Damn. And I I fell in love with it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, David, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening and bearing with my speech issues tonight. I'm a little drunk and it's been a while and I forget how to speak and talk in a microphone when I'm gone too long. So I do appreciate everyone bearing with us. 
Thank you for listening to us. Be sure to find us on uh, Patreon. Help us out. Sub like on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, rate review in iTunes and or Spotify. It does help us. So please, please do those things. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.